I recently made a video on the book In Love with the World by Yangay Minger Rinpoche. And on that video, I got a question from a really great commenter, someone who has left great comments on my videos and many other videos in this uh, booktube community. Uh, Trip asked the following question. May I ask you whether your experience closely studying the Talmud produced the effect of, med of a meditation retreat? I believe focusing on a singular object is, is a meditation practice. Further, have you noticed any analog to mindfulness in Judaism in the Torah or Talmud? Um, thanks so much. So that was his question. So yeah, I, I really love that question. I told him I would try to answer that question in video form. The way in which I want to think about this question, approach it, is, is very specific to my own experience. And say, when I read this book for the first time, what was the experience like coming from the perspective of someone who grew up in the Orthodox Jewish world? So that's sort of my frame of reference here. And, and there were many things in that book that jumped out at me, that surprised me, that, that struck me as wrong, so to speak, um, based on the way I was raised religiously. So in this book, Yangye Minga Rinpoche abandons his post as abbot of a very important monastery in India, and he tries to go, he goes on this retreat uh, where he's going to be a wandering yogi. And so he runs away from his monastery and in the process, he almost dies uh, of dehydration, but he survives and he ends up having a successful multi-year retreat, just wandering, um, living the life of a, almost a homeless person in India. At the point in the book where he finds himself on death's door, he realizes that he knows the phone numbers of various monasteries and he could potentially ask to borrow someone's phone and make a phone call and have his life saved. Uh, in, in the book, he describes that he can't, he can't go to a hospital. There's no hospitals for people who can't pay, and he has no money. In the book, he decides to just accept his fate, and whatever happens, happens. And, and from the Jewish perspective, that is totally wrong. That is, like, totally unacceptable. Uh, in the way I was raised within Judaism, um, there's a deep sense that we don't own our bodies, that our bodies are on loan to us, and we're supposed to take good care of them. We're supposed to really protect our bodies. There's a principle in the Talmud that says that preserving a life, protecting life, overrides and abrogates anything in the Torah, any Torah commandment. Nothing is more important than preserving human life. Uh, furthermore, uh, he, he goes to basically live um, a life of privation, um, of sort of kind of self-imposed exile from his religious community. And in, in the Jewish community, in the Jewish world, um, it's, it's almost impossible to really practice in the ideal sense uh, without your community because, you know, prayer services require uh, a quorum of people, require uh, a community, and, and lots of the rituals uh, and, and the holiday observances can only be done with a community. So again, leaving uh, the community as a kind of religious practice is, is very antithetical to uh, a lot of Orthodox Judaism. In, in the book, he uh, embraces the experience of basically living in filth, um, living in, in such extreme poverty where, where he's, he's dirty and unshowered um, and near people who smell very bad. And this to him is something he embraces and accepts and something that he sees as a, a trial, a test that he can overcome. Whereas in Judaism, there's a sense that you can't even practice in those conditions. Um, you're not allowed to pray next to a foul-smelling source. Uh, source of foul smell. You're not allowed to, you know, even uh, learn Torah or do anything um, 
that that would be part of religious practice uh, near feces or something like that. So again, it's another kind of divergence. I, I sort of get the sense when I read this book and other books uh, from the Buddhist tradition that the ultimate goal is perfecting oneself. In Judaism, that same kind of uh, energy and desire is really focused at improving the world. At least that's, again, from my own perspective, my own unique experience within the Jewish tradition. Uh, this, this concept of tikkun olam, of, of perfecting, fixing the world, which is sort of like the inverse of uh, the, the, the Buddhist perspective, perhaps. All in all, I think a big difference between these two traditions is in Buddhism, it seems to me, as a total outsider, um, and, and if I'm wrong about this, people can you know, add corrections, uh, I'd love to hear them, but it seems to me that there's this, this goal of finding happiness for, for ourselves and, and achieving happiness and uh, enlightenment and peace uh, for, for, for all people um, as much as possible. Whereas in Judaism, Orthodox Judaism, the sense is that we didn't come here to have fun. We didn't come here for pleasure, for enjoyment, for enlightenment, um, to feel good about ourselves, to feel good at all. But we came here to work, that there's uh, just obligations upon us. Um, the book Ethics of the Fathers, which is one of the foundational texts of, of Jewish ethics, uh, that you know is, is considered uh, very authoritative, uh, says, uh, quote, Rabbi Tarfon would say, the day is short, the work is much, the workers are lazy, the reward is great, and the master of the house is insistent. He would also say, it is not incumbent upon you to finish the task, but neither are you free to absolve yourself from it. So there's a, there's a much stronger sense of obligation there, of urgency, of necessity. And th that translates in, in sort of day-to-day -day practice uh, of Judaism, uh, a desire, a value on building a family, something which uh, monks in the Buddhist tradition uh, are not going to do. Um, despite these, these interesting differences, uh, there, there are some similarities which I noticed, which I find um, very interesting. So in Judaism, again, my, my experience of Judaism, the way I was raised, there's a strong, strong insistence on practice, centrality of practice, the importance of ritual, and specifically uh, Torah study, Talmud study, and there is much, much less uh, emphasis, a total de-emphasis on belief. Belief doesn't really matter. There's like very little discussion of the afterlife, of an afterlife, um, certainly absent from the Old Testament. Um, it's mostly absent from, from other Jewish sources that are considered important. Um, because questions of what exactly you believe, uh, questions of theology just uh, are, are much less relevant um, in, in the Orthodox Jewish world than how do you behave, how do you act, uh, what is your, again, religious practice. And in, in this book, um, In Love with the World, and in other books that I've read, a scene comes up uh, very often. So Yange Minga Rinpoche will encounter a student, and the student will say to him, listen, I'm, I love meditation, I love the ideas that you're, you're sort of teaching, but I can't accept uh, ideas about karma. I can't accept the metaphysics of uh, recurrence, eternal recurrence, the samsara, the life and death uh, cycle, um, because I, I, don't, I don't believe it, basically. And in, invariably, from what I've read, uh, certainly in this book and in other books, it seems uh, that the teacher says, that's fine. You know, that's fine. Just do the practice. Just do the meditation. And maybe the subtext there is that you'll come to believe uh, the other things eventually, but the similarity that I see there to Judaism is, is really the emphasis is on practice. The idea that the practice is redemptive, um, whether that be the practice of meditation or in the case of Judaism, mostly uh, the practice of, of Torah study, Talmud study, and also the, the, ritual, the rituals that, that are observed. Uh, another, another similarity 
um, is I was I, I noticed the way Yangi Ming Rinpoche has this concept of uh, giving the merit of, do, of like donating the merit. So um, when he meditates, he he sees himself as acquiring merit, and he he asks he he dedicates it to someone in his life or someone that he knows. He says, "May this person benefit from the merit that I'm accruing." And uh, a similar concept exists in Judaism around you know Torah study, where you would, you know you can learn Torah in uh, the name of uh, someone else that you hope uh, gets some sort of metaphysical, cosmic, uh, religious benefit, spiritual benefit from the work um, that you're doing. And what that speaks to is that in both cases, in both traditions, there's a strong sense that the practice, the act that you're engaging, the religious act, has a cosmic, metaphysical significance. It's more than just uh, the, the the physical physical uh, <laughs> uh, experience. There's something there's something deeper there. And so how do those two experiences relate? What is, how does this is getting more directly to the point of Tripp's question? How does meditation relate to a uh, the experience of a retreat studying Talmud intensively? And I think the answer is that in some ways they're similar, but in some ways they're like polar opposites. Um, because meditation is a kind of internal focus um, a focus that comes hopefully with a kind of clarity, a kind of peace and, and internal wisdom, uh, getting in touch with awareness and getting in touch with something fundamental and essential about the nature of being human and the nature of being conscious in this world. And the, the benefit of that is some, is some kind of uh, sense of, of fulfillment, of calm, of relief, of, of some sort of redemption of this otherwise busy, hectic, anxiety-inducing life. Um, whereas the, the experience of, of focusing uh, solely on Talmud study, Torah study, would be to, to focus all those same energies on something external, onto a kind of intellectual uh, project, which is very much outside of you. It's engaging in a conversation uh, with other people, either in, in real time or historically, engaging in a conversation um, that is, you know, dates back thousands of years. And th that experience is, again, in many ways the opposite, but also, I think, uh, can achieve potentially, um, in the best case scenario, um, a kind of psychological, uh, spiritual redemption, a kind of relief from the anxieties and the, the troubles and the stresses of day-to-day uh, -day life, uh, the human experience. To conclude, I want to share with you just one of my favorite um, Bible verses of all time. The book of Exodus, chapter 22. And this is a section, this is a set of chapters that are deep in the weeds of like Jewish law, of biblical Jewish law. It's all about reparations. If an ox injures someone, there's laws of, you know, uh, sexual relations who you're not allowed to have sex with. Uh, and it goes on and on. And then we get this this really interesting interjection. And this is <laughs> this is probably one of my favorite Bible verses in the entire Bible. Verse 19, I'll just read the English, chapter 22. Whoever sacrifices to a god other than the Lord shall be prescribed. And that is in line with, with the previous verses. The, the verse before that, I'm reading backwards now, this is the earlier verse. If, if her father, um, if a man seduces a virgin for whom the bride price has not been paid and lies with her, he must take 
He must make her his wife by payment of a bride price. If her father refuses to give her to him, he must still weigh out silver in accordance with the bride price for virgins. Again, very legalistic monetary laws, sexual relations. And now we get to my favorite verses here. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now, this is a bit of a different kind of law. A moral, a moral law, a moral obligation. But it doesn't end there. It continues. You shall not ill-treat any widow or orphan. If you do mistreat them, God says, I will heed their outcry as soon as they cry out to me. And my anger shall blaze forth, and I will put you to the sword, and your own wives shall become widows, and your children orphans. And then it continues with laws about lending money to strangers and don't set interest, and it goes on and back to this legalistic uh, monetary uh, law. But it's such a, a jarring change in tone. Um, the second we hit upon this sort of moral law, the tone becomes so much more intense. And if you ill-treat any widow or orphan, if you oppress the stranger, I will heed their outcry as soon as they call to me, and my anger shall blaze forth, and I will push you to the sword, and your own wives shall become widows, and your children orphans. And so, if your goal is to live a life um, free of anxieties, uh, free of worries, then the, the Jewish tradition doesn't speak to that so much. But if you're worried about living a life um, that is maybe too carefree, uh, what the Jewish tradition offers is uh, the burden of commandment and the burden of, of working to uh, be ethical and to live an upright life and to make the world a better place.